0: Journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at one PM for the trip of a lifetime. Shavua tov, and yes, I am Adol Kazilski, and I'm excited to share the next hour with you as we do take a trip of a lifetime, and we're actually going all the way back in history. We are studying the Book of Genesis, the Parsha of Chayei Sarah. And we are actually at a very incredible point, um, and that is the first purchase of the land of Israel that was made by Abraham. And this, and in this uh, context, we are speaking about the fact that um, Abraham has now come back from the sacrifice of Isaac, and he finds out that in the interim, his wife Sarah passed away. That's where we left it before. And uh I actually find it pretty interesting now that we are discussing this pasha, along with the incredible news about the Abraham Accords and now the peace that seemingly seems to be on board um between um the Jewish people and their their half brothers, the Yishmaelim, um who are whose father is actually Abraham as well. So let's take that trip back. And let's go into chapter 23 of Genesis. We're going to start on verse 2. The last time we got together, which was two weeks ago, we spoke about the life of Sarah and how one needs to um, live one's life to the fullest and what life really, really means. We spoke about the idea that um, it's not really death that Judaism focuses on, but on life. Death is a temporary measure. It is the movement of the soul from one world, this world, to the next. And what really counts is how we live our life. And we had a whole discussion on that. If you didn't miss that, feel free. Go to highfm.com, go to podcasts, and you can pick up our discussion there. Of course, as always, I love discussion and would love to engage with you. You can SMS us on 34519 or you can use our telegram number, 061-895-1019. So, chapter 23, verse 2 reads as follows. Sarah died in a place called Kiriat Arba, which is better known as Chevron. Be'eret's Canaan, in the land of Canaan. Abraham comes, he arrives to eulogize Sarah and to weep for her. Why does it say that Abraham comes? Because as we know, Abraham went to Be'er Sheva before, after the Akedas Yitzhak, after the sacrifice of Yitzhak, and he didn't find Sarah there, and people had told him that she had gone to Hebron to look for her, his son, so when Abraham arrived in Hebron, that is when he discovered that she passed away. Now, the one question um, that is asked is, why does it say that Abraham came to do two things: lispod the Sarah, the That he came to eulogize Sarah, um, and that he came to, that he came to cry for her. And here opens up an entire um, discussion about mourning: what is appropriate, what isn't appropriate, and how one should behave um, during a time where one hears about the death either of a loved one. Or of somebody that we know, and how we should attend to the mitzah of havayah which means the accompanying of the death of the dead on their last journey, which means taking them to burial. So let me start off by just going through a couple of halachic ideas, ideas that are based in law and minhagim, ways that we behave. When uh, we are needing to mourn, okay, and um, we're told that when one hears about the death of a virtuous individual in particular, God counts it if one pays attention and sheds a tear about the death of a virtuous person, and, and it says that your tears shed when you hear a great person pass away is actually actually placed in his treasure in God's treasury and that the person is then amply rewarded for it. And therefore, from there, we land up deriving the fact that um, one needs to give a lot of covet, one needs to give a lot of honour to the dead, and in particular to somebody who was a stalwart or somebody who maintained and upheld the community. Um, and um, in in that light, what we are told is that there are many, many things That we need to do in order To show that COVID The first thing Is that one should realize That um, When a person has passed away One should stop what one is doing And attend the funeral Now, um, today Things are obviously far more modernized We are very, very thankful and grateful To have organizations Such as the Hever Kadisha who attend to all the needs of the bereaved. Um, and so a lot of, um, some, uh, not a lot, some of the halakhot, um that they are, um, are superfluous because we don't do it anymore. But I will tell you, nevertheless, what it is that um, one should do. We're told that one needs to accompany the dead um, to their burial, and... Um, we are told that if you are a businessman or you are doing um, b- uh, important work and you know that there is a funeral procession, you need to stop and go out and accompany um, the funeral procession at least for a couple of steps. Now, that is a, a, a show of honor. As I said today, we don't necessarily have it. We do have it in some. sometimes you hear in places like New York, that um, the bereaved will pass through a shul or pass through a, a place where he lived, and the residents will come up and walk with the hearse um, a couple of, of, of steps. For those who have been unfortunate in having to accompany a very, very close relative um, when the hebrew comes to fetch them, um, it is a custom to walk behind the hebrew car a couple of steps to show the covered, that you are accompanying them um, on their journey to the next world. If none of that is um, applicable or available, we then do know that when we do come to the cemetery and uh, the coffin is brought out, um, there is a number of prayers that we say, and then we walk the coffin to to the place of burial. And as you see, it will be a custom for each and every single person That is there, particularly the men, to have turns in walking a certain amount of steps with the coffin. And that is derived all the way from Abraham, who came to eulogize Sarah, we are told. And part of the eulogy was to accompany her and to arrange and to ensure that she, in fact, would be getting a proper burial. Um, so that is the first idea that I'd like to share. We're going to go for a little bit of a break. When you get back, we are going to unpack it further. Should you have any questions, um, I can attempt to uh, help you with answering them. 34519 is our SMS line. 61 is our telegram number. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. We are discussing the burial of Sarah Imane, or Sarah, our foremother, and the first thing that we learn from this entire discussion is that it is a mitzvah in order for one to accompany the dead to their uh, burial, and that one should stop whatever one is doing, whether it is that the procession is passing your house, whether it is that you are at the funeral, it is a mitzvah to walk and accompany the dead. Now, we are told that the earlier the dead are buried, the greater is their peace. And this is something that you will see very much embedded in the Hebrew conditions around the world, is that we try to bury people as soon as possible. We do not leave them lying around um, for for for, um, for for reasons other than perhaps waiting for a family member, um, direct family member, to, to return from overseas uh, to attend, um, or if, God forbid, then there is some type of, 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 of criminal or um, legal reason why we can't. But as a matter of convenience, that is not something that is accepted in Jewish law, and we go to bury our dead as soon as possible. Why? Because it says that the soul feels uncomfortable, feels disorientated. It's neither in this world, nor is it really in the world to come. And the quicker we bring it to burial, uh, the better. Where do we learn this from? From Abraham. That Abraham hurried to make preparations for Sarah's burial as soon as possible. And who does Abraham go to? Abraham goes to the, the children of Chet that are living amongst, that he is living amongst. It says, Abraham gets up from, uh, before, before he's dead, the Lemor, and he speaks to the children of Chet saying, I am a foreigner but a resident amongst you. And give me a burial, give me a property for a burial site with you, so that I may bury my dead and 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 uh, out of my presence, or so just from, from before me. Now, interestingly, the, um, Abraham describes himself as a ger. Vetoshav as a stranger, but somebody who is living. Um, he is living amongst, and that is really true. He was. He never ever put himself up. He was a fabulously wealthy guy. He had tremendous influence, but never did um, the people around him feel that he, you know, he was in charge. And neither did he see himself in charge. Uh, the midrash I ever goes and says that. Um, when he said the word ger even though he was talking practically, he was also talking metaphorically, and um, it explains that what he really was saying to Benefit was that both you and I are foreigners in this world, and we might consider ourselves residents with our own homes, our own property, but in the end we will all die, and we must all think about this in advance, and therefore give me a burial site, um, so not only to bury my wife, but I want to be ready when my time, time comes that I have somewhere through which I can transition. <laughs> Excuse me, the children of, um, um, of, of Chet said to Abraham, Shema'eni adoni nisi elokimata. And they actually come back and say to Abraham, we don't consider you just Stam a resident or a foreigner, we see you. Please listen to us, um, dear sir, our Lord. Nisi Elokimata, you are a prince of God in our midst. Um, you can bury your dead in the choicest of our burial sites. Okay, Ishmi kivro, No man amongst us will deny your burial site from you. Go ahead, bury your dead. Choose wherever you want. You are a prince of God. Um, We respect you. Choose whatever place you want. Choose it as a burial site. Abraham gets up and he bows down towards the people of the land and to the children of Chet. And he says the following. He says the following. He says the following. If you find it, if it's really your will that I bury my dead. Milfanai, before me, Shema'uni, please listen to me. Ufiguli li be'efron ben Tzohar. Then can you please approach a gentleman by the name of um, Efron, the son of Tzohar. li et ma'arata Machpela. Let him give me this cave called machpelah. Asher lo, asher sadehu. And let me and sitting in his field, in his portion of his field, I will pay, pay full price for it, and in front of your presence, so that I can have a burial site. Now, you can see the negotiations that Abraham was having over here. They went and said, the B'nei We give a tremendous amount of respect for you. We don't see you just as a resident or a foreigner, but as a prince of God. Please help yourself. You can bury yourself wherever you want. Abraham replies, well, if you're saying that, then my eye is on a field um, that is owned by a guy called Ephron, and if you could approach him, tell him, I don't want the field for free. I want to pay full price for the field, and let me go ahead and bury my wife there. And of course, the question is asked, why did Dafka choose the field of Ephron, and why did he choose this cave called the cave Machpelah cave? Um, what does Machpelah tell us about the cave? So, for those who have been learning uh, with me, um, the book of Genesis, we know a couple of chapters back, but quite a while back, when the three angels came to visit Abraham, to tell him that he was going to have a son, Isaac, Abraham rushed to prepare food for him. And we are told that he went into his fields to collect um, three uh, three animals. Um, some say it was a cow, others say that it was a goat, um, irrespective for this story. And one of them ran away, and Abraham chased him. Now, remember, Abraham was in Hebron at the time that the angels came to visit him. And anyway, uh, he... He, he, he ran after the one animal that he was looking to, to, um, to shaft and he came, this animal ran into a cave. And when the animal ran into the cave, Abram smelt an incredible, ar- like aromatic aroma smell coming out and he realized that this wasn't any ordinary cave, but this was a heavenly cave. And he came to understand further that why was it a heavenly cave? For two reasons. One, the Midrash tells us that this cave was in fact um, Petah Gan Eden. It is the opening to Gan Eden. It's the interface between this world and the next world that souls come through um, through uh, Petach Gan Eden into the next world. So when somebody passes away, our soul goes through this world, into the next world, through this opening that opens into Gan Eden. The second is we are told that... In fact, um, <clears throat> that in fact the, 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 the place smelt heavenly because there were two people buried there already. Who were they? Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve. That was their burial place. And once you realized the, the spirituality of the cave and how important um, it was and the fact that Adam and Eve there was no question in his mind that that was now going to be his burial place, the burial place of his wife. And of course, we know now today it is the burial place of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and Sarah, Rifka and Leah. Sarah, Rifka and Leah. Of course, the only four mother not buried there is Rachel, Rachel, who's buried in Beit Lechem because she died giving birth on the way to to to, to returning to the land of Israel. So he says, I want that cane. Marata Machpelah. Machpelah actually comes from, from the word kaful, double. And we are told the double means like two partners, and that it was the partnership of Adam and Chava, the partnership of Avram and Sarah, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, that was going to. Um, that they were going to be buried there. Machpela also means that it was a cave within a cave, that you went into the cave, you didn't realize until you walked further and saw that there was a cave within a cave. So that duality, that doubleness comes out in the word Machpelah. So Abraham says, go and tell Ephron um, that I would like his caves into giving me carte blanche and telling me where I um, can bury, I'd like that, and I'm prepared to pay top dollar, I'm prepared to pay Full price. Now, um, one of the, of of the ideas brought out from this entire exchange with Abraham and the Chitats is that one needs to be very particular where one gets buried, uh, and and it says that the if you have two people who hate each other when they are alive, you've got to ensure that they do not get buried next to each other because this will cause both of them grief, and that if you have people. Who have uh, risen to high stature in the community spiritually and have given so much to the community, they should have a special section um, for them and bury them properly. And that's why Abraham was very particular. He could have chosen anywhere. He could have chosen his backyard. For all intents and purposes, he didn't. He chose a place that he realized was was particular. It had a, a high spiritual standing. And, of course, that um, that Adam and Chaba were buried there. Now, one of the other ideas that uh, we, are, we are told and we learn then, and it's, it's really still something that happens today, is that there is a difference in being buried outside the land of Israel as opposed to being buried inside the land of Israel. One of the reasons that people choose to be buried in the land of Israel, as opposed to outside, is connected to the fact that once Mashiach has arrived and we have brought in the Messianic Redemption, the cherry on the top of of bringing the world to fruition and finality is that there will be the concept of resurrection of the dead. Now, while there isn't too much time to explain resurrection of the dead, it is something that we can, in 2020, wrap our minds around, um, we are seeing this very much in the field of genetics, of stem cells, of taking things that um, are dead and able, already being able to understand the genetic code, etc., etc. If you leave it another 20, 30 years, we'll be able to revive the dead from, from the very little that is left. In the ground, we know specifically that every Mosei Shabbat, every end of Shabbat, we sit down to have a warm meal, and one of the things that this warm meal does is that it feeds the loose bone. That's a bone at the top of our vertebra. It says that that loose bone is indestructible while the rest of the body may decay and disappear. The loose bone will never, and that is the bone that will be used to resurrect the dead. Now, why am I telling you all of this? Because how will resurrection happen? We're told that if the body is found outside the land of Israel, it will roll underground in subterranean tunnels until it gets to the land of Israel, and resurrection will happen in the land of Israel. Um, We're also told that that might be a pretty painful and uncomfortable um, experience for for the body, and therefore, uh, across the centuries, many, many people have made it their um, their last will and testament that when they do pass away, they are not buried outside the land of Israel, but in fact in the land of Israel, because there, there will be no traveling. You'll just get up and say it to everyone. Um, so that, that 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 is something very very interesting and just a side point when we are talking about the fact that uh, that that Abraham chose this place in particular. Now. Abraham requests them to go and intercede on his behalf. What do we know next? If you're looking in verse 10 of chapter 23, Ephron <inaudible> lived amongst the people, amongst the children of of Chet. And Abraham, and Abraham they obviously bring bring this um, idea to Ephron, and Ephron responds to Abraham, all in front of the ears of the people of Haith, meaning that everybody understood this transaction and everybody was aware of this transaction, the Sha'ar iro, even anybody who came to his city heard this discussion. And I'm going to touch um, on this a little bit later as to why you'll see quite a few times it says that all this discussion was done Lifnei Oznei Ha'ir or Lifnei Oznei any Chet, it was all done um, in front of and, and, and in, in the ears of the children of Chet, that in fact everybody was involved. But what did Ephron say? L'ai no, my master, Shema'uni, listen to me. Shema'eni, listen to me. natati lach, I'm going to give you this field. I'm going to give you this cave. Um in front of my whole nation, the Tatiha, I'll give it to you. Lach, Kvor, please go ahead and bury your dead. So what we seem to see here is a magnanimous Ephron who goes, Oh, don't be ridiculous. Um I'm gonna do it in front of everybody. Please take my field and take the, the 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 cave and please go ahead, go and bury your dead. Now there's an interesting little a tweak over here in the wording it says the, the Ephron Yoshev b'toch b'nei chet. Ephron was sitting um, amongst the children of Chet and the Midrash picks up straight away that the, it's saying it in the present, Yosheb is in the present it should, should have said the, the Ephron Yashav b'toch b'nei chet. he sat with the children, why is it saying it in the present so we're told that it was actually that very morning that Ephron had been chosen as governor um, amongst the, the the children of Chet And he was given this honor On spot, out of respect for Abraham And so he was being Quite magnanimous now that he was In that situation That he could <clears throat> He could say to Abraham No, don't be ridiculous I'm not going to um, Charge you for this Please take the field And please will you take The, the cave Abraham, however, is a very, very, very shrewd businessman. He understands that that um, he wants to be made clear that once he um, he's buried there, that this will be a burial site forever, and that he actually owns this land. And here we are seeing, ladies and gentlemen, we are seeing the very, very important idea that there is a financial transaction that there is a transaction of, of a transfer of a title deed, that Abraham will not relent in getting it as a gift, that, you know, somebody down the line can ask for it back, but rather this is a transfer through money, um, properly, a transfer of property from one hand to another, and that it in fact becomes the heritage and the inheritance of the Jewish people forever. And uh, this obviously touches on a the touchy subject of, who does the land of Israel belong to? Well, biblically, the land of Israel belongs to the people of Israel, and the people of Israel are the descendants of Abraham, whom God promised the land to, and whom Abraham, on, 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 on various um, occasions, and so did other other uh, um, ancestors, buy those land and, and retain them for themselves. So Hebron, no question, is a land that belongs to the Jewish people and there there is a financial transaction that happens there. We're going to go for a little bit of a break and then follow the rest of the story. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life Welcome back, and we're following the story of, of how Abraham, our forefather Abraham, acquires um, the cave of Machpelah and the field surrounding it. So here we have Mr. Magnanimous Ephraim saying, no, go ahead, you can have my field, you can have my um, my cave. Avraham <inaudible> then bows. Um, before the people of the land, and he says to Ephron, Again, he says it in front of everybody. So here again, we're seeing this, it has to be in front of everybody. This was a public transaction he he ignores his um, agreement his the offer of Efron to take the place for free and he says if you will listen to me i will give you money for this field take it from me and i will bury my dead there i e i'm not going to take this as a handout i'm not going to take this as a gift i insist I uh, ask for you that you re, it is a financial uh, transaction now, listen how Mr. Magnanimous Ephron flips the switch. Byan Ephron, and Ephron replies back to Abraham, and he says, "Adoni, my master, Shema'eni, listen to me then. Um, me'ot shekel be'niu ma'hi Then 400 silver shekels um, worth of land between you and me. How's that? Then you can bury your dead. So straight away, it didn't take very long to convince um, Ephraim not to be magnanimous anymore. In fact, we can see from here that he really had absolutely no intention. He had intention still to uh, to fleece Abraham in one way, and Abraham, in his astuteness, in his business um, astuteness, realized that he needs to, to, to pay for this top dollar. And you know what happens? Ephraim charges him, top dollar, 400 silver shekels, um, was equivalent, maybe, wow, a long, long time ago, there's a whole calculation of, uh, the Talmud goes around and says, how much was a shekel, it was weighing a cellar and a sella was this, and et cetera, et cetera. We're looking at probably, and um, this, the Midrash that I'm reading from was, was maybe 50, 60 years ago, and they were saying that in modern currency that was probably about $18,000 dollars. We could probably rank that up to a to couple of hundred thousand dollars today. Some go and say it was $28,000, which makes it even more. He paid full, inflated price for Chevron, And you can see the flip. Like Ephraim did it in a jesting way. went, oh, come on then, all right, between you and me. What's between you and me? 400 silver shekels. That's a fortune of money. But Abraham does not flinch and does not negotiate and that does not do anything because for him if he was focused on getting his wife buried, ASAP, and nor did he ever want any comeback and saying, This land does not belong to you, or I gave it to you as a discount, or I gave it to you for free. So vayishma Abraham and Ephron, Abraham listens to Ephron, Vayishkol Abraham le Ephron etakese. Abraham weighs out to Ephron the silver, Asher di bebe and that they spoke in front of the ears of the children of Chet. Arba kesef Four hundred silver shekel, shekels was paid over in negotiable currency. What do we see? If you look very, very carefully at the verse, at the word of Ephron, you will see when Abraham pays Ephron. Vayishkol Abraham Ephron. Suddenly, Ephron loses the Vav in his name. If you actually look at the writing in Hebrew, at the verse in Hebrew, you'll see normally Ephron is spelled Aleph, Peh, Resh, Vav, Nun. And now he's uh, spelled out Aleph, Peh, Resh, Nun. He loses out the Vav. Why? So we said that if you look at Aleph, Peh, Resh, Vav, sorry, Allah Ayin, Pei, Resh, Nun, if you add up the gematria, Ayin is 70, Pei is 80, Resh is 200, Nun is 50. That adds up to 400. Good. So the defunct Ephron, without the vav, comes to 400. What is the significance of the fact that now his name has a value of 400? Well, we're told that Ayin Ra, an evil eye, also has... The same numerical value, which is telling us what that since Ephron had the audacity to demand such a large sum, he actually was a low class individual, and so the Torah deletes a letter from his name and he's punished for his jealousy of, of Ara, um, um, for Avram and of giving him an evil eye. So you could see how astute Abraham was really in fact. That uh, he didn't, he knew who he was dealing with, and he wasn't about to get into any negotiation because if he didn't pay him top dollar, if he didn't give him what he needed, there will always be a question. And now comes the explanation about osnehaam. Why was everything done um, in the ear, so to speak, in 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 hearing distance? of everybody, because Abraham wanted absolutely no negotiation, not at his time, nor all the way to 2020, to his descendants' time. Hebron is a Jewish city. It was bought with top dollar, and it is it it belongs to us lock, stock, and barrel. There could have been times where we were forcibly thrown out um, with an invading army, um, but at no time had this title deed anywhere in history, and you can, you can peruse the pages of history, was that Hebron ever went back and became the property of someone else. Now, we know that there are four holy cities in, in Israel, Jerusalem being one of them, Hebron being another, the other two are Tiberia, Tiberias, and Svat. And so Hebron Is considered a very, very holy place and a place where there has been a Jewish presence since the time that Abraham um, lived there and particularly from the time that became the burial spot of the ancestors of, of the Jewish people. So this whole idea that this entire negotiation was the Osne Ha'am in the ears of the nation was there to ensure at all times that it was made clear that this was something that Abraham wanted for his wife, he realized the spirituality of it, he realized how precious this place was, and, and he ensured to sign and seal for it um, legally in, in the best way possible. And nobody could have gone and then said, well, this was a negotiation you had privately with Efron, we don't know about it. Nope every single part of the negotiation was in your ears as well funny vayachem stay efon ashem machpela ashem itnay mamreim hasadeh veha'maara ashebo vechol ha'etz ashebo sadad um ashebo gvulo saviv and the torah then goes and explains clearly that efon's field that was in machpela in facing mamre um, the field the cave all the trees in the field, in all the ba- in all its boundaries, from all sites, became the property of Abraham. Okay, so it wasn't that. Oh no, okay, we can now start arguing. No, it was just the cave. It wasn't the tree outside. No, it was just it was the tree outside. It wasn't like further down, you know, where, they were, where, where the, the boundaries have changed. It all char- transferred and became. The the property of Abraham. It is black and white, and there's no subject to interpretation or negotiation. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. And in the last few minutes, let's wrap up this entire story. The verses continue, verse 18 says, They even say further that um, the, the property became Abraham's through the purchase before the eyes of all the children of Chet and all who had come to the gate of his city. And after that... Abraham Avraham etzara ishtoy. Avraham buried his wife, Sarah, al-Maharat, ste'ha-Machpela. He buried her in the field of the Machpela, alpene Mamre, hi-chevron ve'eretz Canaan. In the Machpela field, which faces Mamre, in the land of Canaan. And then this field and its cave became the property of Abraham as a, burial, as a burial property from the children of Chet. We know that Torah is very, very precise and it doesn't wax eloquent. It doesn't need to. Um, if it needs to give an idea in one or two words, then suffice, so suffice it will be. But yeah, you can see the lengthiness that the Torah goes to go and explain, that every single part of this transaction was a transaction to say that this is rightfully, the Jewish peoples. And it says that this episode in detail also comes to teach us that during Abraham's lifetime, he saw the fulfillment of God's promise that I will make your name great. That's why we see the children of Chet calling him a prince of God. And even though Ephron was governor when he spoke to Abraham, he called him my lord, even though Abraham did not use such an address when replying to Ephron, So this just gives you an idea of the status that Abraham enjoyed. And this also obviously comes to teach us that the land of Israel is intrinsically and completely connected with the identity of the Jewish people. And even though we have seen many um, invaders come and go, and even to today's date in modern times, Israel seems to play a tremendous amount of uh, amount on the stage of the world, and there is much talk about about the land. From a Torah perspective, there is no talk. The land of Israel belongs to the Jewish people. It has been their land since our forefather Abraham, and it is rightfully an inheritance um, to this day. And whilst there might be a lot of political coming and going. Um, Fact is the fact What's very interesting now Is that we do have a thing called The Abraham Accords And uh, we're going to see how that pans out Moving forward That there's no more land for peace Deal, that we're not giving away land Because that land was never ever There to be given away You saw how much now Abraham spent on ensuring that the land Was his, so let's hope and pray That this Abraham Accord This peaceful Peace Will in fact bring together um, Ishmael, um who is the half brother to, uh, to 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 and the son too of Abraham, and uh, hopefully we will see biblical prophecy unfolding further in our time with uh, the reestablishment of Israel, the place of the Jews, the place of the Arab world, the place of the Christian world, according to biblical. Uh, prophecy and fundamentals. With that, I leave you and wish you all a wonderful week ahead. Next week we continue with the Parsha, but we're going into happier things. Nothing about death. We're going to be now describing what's called the Parsha of marriage. We're going to learn a lot about our customs and uh, how we view marriage from the next couple of verses. Until then, have a great week.